0: Well, it is certainly my privilege to to come to be in uh, this beautiful church and this beautiful facility and to be be with one of my uh, dearest friends, Dr. Matt Brady. And uh, it's been a thrill for God to bring our past together through the years. And uh, he talked about me being a friend to him. There's a few times when the rest of the world was walking out my door and he was the one walking in. He's the one putting his arm around me when I didn't think there was another place to go. And uh, man, he's my buddy. And I do what I'm thankful today. And I want to say I am thankful for this church. Your your cooperative program giving, it's hard for you to know being out in a uh in a in a rural setting like like you are. And and it's hard for churches who are in the in the city, in the inner city, it's hard for them to know exactly what goes on. With your mission dollars, but I want you to know my daughter and her husband, and they've got a two-year-old little boy. He was born over in Central Asia. Uh, they hadn't been home for three years. They just got home two weeks ago today. and, uh, and they, they're in a country where we can't tell you where they are. Some of our family members don't even know where they are. They're in a, one of these countries where ISIS is at. and it's, you know, and it can be dangerous for them. But they're the ones having secret home churches. They're the ones that's telling people about Jesus. They're the ones going after them Muslims like the Apostle Paul did in those days. And we're hoping and praying that there's going to be a Holy Ghost, Heaven-sent, blood-bought revival in that part of the world that set this whole world on fire for the cause of Christ. And we're praying that our missionaries are going to be the one that God's going to ignite and set that thing ablaze before he returns. I'm looking forward to him coming back. But I tell you what, I don't want him to come back one second too soon because there's too many folks who's hanging in the balance, and if they die without Christ, they'll die without any hope. And we want to get them to Jesus before it's too late. Thank you that you're keeping uh, our missionaries on the field. And you know what, I wish they could come and share stories of things that's going on and how God has intervened. It's just one thing after another, how God is just ministering and motivating them to serve Him. But today I want to take uh, the Word of God, and the Word of God's what changes our life. And I want to take the word, and I want to just make some applications about it today, and before it's over, I pray that God will use it uh, to draw you closer. And I know this morning, as I was studying, and, and I got up early this morning and I, uh, I went on your website, and uh, I, I was looking at, at Dr. Brady's at his messages, and I noticed that he's been preaching a series on God is bigger. God's bigger. And I listened this morning that God on their website that God is bigger than I wants. You know what, i tell you what, I took my want list and I would have chunked it in the fire. And I thank God I've already got some things or I wouldn't be wanting them anymore. God's bigger than our wants. He's bigger than our opinions. He's bigger than our body. And He's bigger than me. Those sermons that He has been preaching uh, to you, as I have listened to some of these, listen, I'm going to tell you what, they are, they are anointed message where God, you know, it wasn't just a personality that was preaching them. Man, this was, this was God's blessed spirit spree- speaking through Him. Now, I want to preach a message entitled today, How Big is God? Just how big is God? And we're going to find some of these answers to this question in Mark chapter 5 today. Mark chapter 5. We see Jesus. It's a story that uh, many of you who study the Word, you'll, you'll understand. You'll remember the story of Jairus and his daughter. And uh, as you're turning there to Mark chapter 5, let me say, I hope and pray that this church is praying for something big. Are you praying for something big? Are, the men's ministry and the women's ministry and the, the youth ministry and the children's ministry. Have you got it in your mindset that, listen, we need to be praying for something big. Something bigger than just what, what our wants and our, our opinions and bigger than me. Those, the, something, I believe God wants to do something big. And I mean big, big. Don't you, think, don't you think God wants this place full? Wouldn't it be something today if it was standing room only? Wouldn't it be something that you had an overflow over there? You, this choir was still full. Man, I think God wants to do something big. God doesn't, God's not a me- mediocre God. He's a God that's bigger than all outdoors because he created it. Y'all pardon me. I get a little sideways when I think about how good God is and how big God is. How big is God Listen, if you're not praying, you need to scratch this down in your Bible somewhere. You, get you, if you've got to get a tattoo, get it, get it tattooed on your Bible and let it say, I'm praying for something big because God's bigger than what I've been praying for. Is your prayer life, is it stretching you to trust God? Or is it just satisfactory to take it as it is? Man, don't you, see the, don't you want to see these baptismal waters stirred every Sunday? Wouldn't that be something every single Sunday, somebody's coming down that aisle giving their heart and life to Christ because the people of God have been out there sharing the love of Jesus every day? Wow. Is God big enough to do that? Oh, yes, he is. Now, when I say amen, you say amen. 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 Because, you know, if you say amen when I say amen, that helps me get through on time. And I'm a clock watcher. Don't worry, I'm going, I'm going to get out on time. I'm just, I, my, my sermons are like baloney. You can cut them off anywhere and they're still good. Don't, don't worry about it. Some of y'all panicking. Don't worry about it. But how big is God? Let's look in the scripture and see. In Mark chapter 5, beginning with verse 21. And when Jesus was passed over again by ship unto the other side, much people gathered unto him, And he was nigh to the sea, and behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet. And he begged him greatly, saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her, that she may be healed, and she shall live. And Jesus went with him, and much people followed him and thronged him. And a certain woman, which had an issue of blood of twelve years, and had suffered many things of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was nothing better, but rather grew worse. I want to just stop right there. God is bigger. What is God bigger than? God is bigger than our desperation. You know what it's like to be desperate? Have you ever been desperate before? You know what, when, when things got out of your hand, and that's what happens with, with Jairus. He's telling Jesus, he said, man, if you'd come and just lay your hands on my daughter, Something ever got out of your hands. It's bigger than you can fix. It's bigger than you can you can work out. It's bigger than you can manipulate. It's bigger than all outdoors. God brings us to time of desperation. What brought Jairus to his desperation? You know, Jairus, the Bible says he was a, he was a, a, a ruler of the synagogue, so we know he was a, a righteous man. He wasn't a drunk, he wasn't a, an adulterer, he wasn't a gambler, he wasn't a man, he was a righteous man. He was a guy who was a ruler of the synagogue, and we know that those who wound up as leaders and the rulers of the synagogue generally had a little money that went with it. There were some riches that went along with that. Those, their needs were met. But he had religion, but it wasn't enough. He had riches, and it wasn't enough. He had righteousness, and it wasn't enough. He had to have something bigger than everything he had. What did he have? We mentioned those, and they weren't enough. So what's he got to do? He's got to go find Jesus. He's got to do... You know, you notice he, did, he wasn't no longer... He wasn't going to the synagogue looking for God anymore. Isn't it a shame for houses of worship across this land where people can go to those houses of worship each week and do not find God? It'd be a shame for people to walk into the doors of this church and not be able to find God. Where do they find God when they come in here? They don't find God in the building. They find God in your heart. They feel and sense the power of the presence of the Holy Spirit of God in your heart. Don't you want to see it when people walk in the back door? When they come in, they feel an atmospheric style of revival that happened on the day of Pentecost when, when the Spirit came through like a mighty rushing wind. Don't you want to see, when you come in those back doors, don't you want to feel the hair stand up on the back of your head because you feel the sense the presence of God? Man, I like what, when they started singing today, I thought, uh-oh, I'm about to get, man, it's going to get on me now. I said, man, I sense something here. I, I believe God's here. And every church I go to, I don't sense that. Man, I had to get up sometime and I had to sing a cappella, How Great Thou Art, just so I can get the Spirit to preach. How big is God? He's bigger than your desperation. You may have walked in those doors today and you're desperate. In your heart, there's something. There's something. It may be hidden, but you know it. And you're desperate about a loved one, and you're desperate about a financial situation. You're desperate about something else. And you know what? If God doesn't do something, it's got, it's got to the point where it's out of your hands. There's nothing else you can do about it. Well, we're going to do like Jairus did. We're going to realize God's bigger than our desperation. Everything that He had, it still was not enough. But not only is God bigger than our desperation, you see Him, He's now leaving he's leaving the, all of the religious things of his life, and now he's going to the one that he's heard about, this man called Jesus, who claims to be the Son of God, who's healing people left and right, and so he's no longer saying, I'm not going to worry about what people are going to think about me. I don't care if the if the young preachers, and I don't care if the old preachers, I don't care if they hear what I'm doing, I have got to do something, because my little baby's at the point of death, and if I don't do something, she's going to die, and I won't have her another minute. I've got to do something. I, if There's a great physician out there. I've got to find him. If this man truly is God, I've got to find him. And he was so desperate. He said, I no longer care what the religious world thinks. I've got to get myself to God. Man, if God's brought you to that place of desperation, let me share something with you. And it's going to sound almost contrary to your emotional state, but God loves desperation because it is in that fertile ground of desperation that God sows the seed of the blessed Holy Spirit that can bring comfort. Man, there's nobody like Jesus. Boy, I wish if Jarius could be here today. I bet he could tell you, man, if you don't know Jesus, man, if you've got some family members who are struggling, man, intercede for them. That's what he's doing. He's interceding for his daughter who can't do for herself, and he's going after Jesus. God's bigger than our desperation, but not only is he bigger than our desperation, I believe we find out, you see something kind of strange happens in this passage. You go from a story about Jairus and his daughter. He goes to Jesus and he begs him, and I like what he did. He fell at his feet, and he said, If you'll come and you'll lay your hands on her, you can heal her. And the Bible says that Jesus went with him. Aren't you glad that Jesus cares about your desperation? Don't think God doesn't care about your desperation. Don't think He doesn't care that you're struggling in life. Don't you think that He's turned a a blind eye and a deaf ear to you? God does know where you're at. He's probably brought you to this place to allow you to see that there is a God who cares and that He's there for you. So here, now this story. I want you to see the picture. You've You've got Jairus. He's got Jesus. And man, they're walking. The Bible says there's a great crowd and it's, it's thronging them. Now, they're moving through and they come upon this lady with the issue of blood. There, and it said there in the last part, the last part of verse 26, that she had spent all that she had and nothing was better but rather grew worse. Have you ever noticed how financial problems can really bring you to a point of prayer. Come on now. When that credit card bill comes and you're thinking, oh no. And the credit card bill got bigger in the last month. It's not just been a pay down thing. It's been a pay as you can, but spend as you go. There's been that time when your children came to you and your children says, Mom and Daddy, I don't know what I'm going to do. And what if you didn't have it to give to them? Is God bigger than our destitution? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I remember as a little old boy, I was, I was about six years old and it was supper time. One night, my dad was a Baptist preacher, and I had three brothers at that time. I got four brothers now. But during that time, we' just little boys, and this is a, probably in the, the mid to late '60s. and I was, it was supper time, and generally around six o'clock, my mama always had supper on table at six o'clock. And my mom was one of them when she's, she, she's loud in the kitchen pots and pans up, banging, and she messes up every dish in the kitchen when she's cooking. She just, she does, and she don't wash them as she goes along because she's always thinking, I got four boys, and they start washing dishes when they're six. And we, I I hate washing dishes to this day over that now. And we had a big family. and Mama, I mean, she messed up everything in there. And you know what? But I I was noticing, you know, it's six o'clock, and I don't hear anything going on in the kitchen. So I went around there, that little case opening, and I looked around, and I saw my mom and daddy Standing in front of that sink. And I didn't see anything, I didn't smell anything going on. I didn't see any pots and pans out, nothing on the countertops. And then I heard these words come out of my mother's mouth. And it felt like a whip on a naked back. My mama said, Billy, what am I going to feed these boys tonight? She said, I can't even make them a biscuit for supper tonight. And then she said, Billy, I can't even go over to that bread box and take out a loaf of bread and make them some, put some butter on there for toast. She said, we don't even have a slice of bread in this house. She said, what are we going to do? And I remember that look on my daddy's face. I was just a little old boy, and I'll tell you what, it broke my heart. See those tears running down my daddy's face? And he said, honey, I don't know what to do. And then he reached and he took her by the hands and she took him. And there, you talking about desperation? You talking about destitution? Man, I saw my mama. And my daddy, my daddy said, Honey, I don't know anything left to do but to pray. And there, this man and woman, there they knelt down in front of that kitchen sink. And I heard my mama begin to pray. And my mama was praying, Dear God, I don't know what's going on in our lives. that's hindering our little boys from getting to eat tonight. But she said, God, if there's any sin in my life that is hindering my little boys from eating, she said, I beg you in the name of Jesus, forgive me. Bring it to my mind that I may put it before you that I might repent. She said, Lord, please I beg you, don't. she said, God, I'd rather die tonight than I had watched my little old boys go to bed hungry. Man, when my mama said that, I looked over there and I saw her tear-stained face and dropping off her cheek right there next to her knees. There was two little old pools of tears that had stacked up on that old raggedy linoleum floor. And I remember seeing that and then she got through praying and my daddy started praying. Now, my daddy didn't pray like my mama did. There was something going on a little different in his heart. But my daddy said, Lord God, he said, I don't know why my oldest boy had to have appendicitis and had to have surgery. And then it took every red cent we had to get him out of that hospital. He said, Lord God, I don't know why that has happened. He said, but I know one thing. He said, your word says that the righteous won't be forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. And you said, oh God, that you'd minister and bless those who are obedient. He said, God, I don't know what it is, but I know one thing. I've tried to serve you, and I've tried to live for you. And he said, God, I'm going to trust you with everything I've got, and I've with all of my heart Them boys are going to eat tonight I'm halfway of the house I'm looking at mom and daddy on their knees And somebody knocks at the door And I went to that front door And I opened the door And we didn't have a front porch out there in that little old Texas Little old Texas parsonage we was living in They had a little old stoop on the front And I remember turning on that light About that time my daddy grabbed me And just pushed me out of the way You know what Kids didn't get in adult business. He just pushed me out of the way and my daddy stepped out and I went over and I looked out the front window and I never will forget what I saw. I saw three women and three men and all six of them had two bags of groceries in their hand. And my daddy said, what's this about? And one of these Baptist women She said, Brother Bill, this morning in my quiet time, I was begging God to show me how how I could live for him and walk with him. And she said, while I was praying, she said, I felt the Holy Spirit of God say, you need to do something for your preacher. And she said, I don't know what that was about. So she said, I just, I got through praying and I picked up the phone. I called my Baptist deacon, my husband. And I said, honey, God's laid it on my heart. I need to do something for the preacher today. And I don't know what in the world to do. And he said, I don't know what you ought to do. He said, God's speaking to you. You listen to him. (laughs) And she said, well, that's what I'm doing. God laid it on my heart to call you because you had the answer. She said, I've been praying for two hours, and I don't have it. And that Baptist deacon said, well, honey, he's got a big old family. Y'all just go to the grocery store. Let's have an old-fashioned pound, and y'all go get a pound of flour, and a pound of butter, and a pound of this. And I said, let's just carry groceries over there. You know what? If, if that's not what they need, at least they can still have something good to eat. And man, I remember you know what? I went from watching my mom and daddy in there praying, thinking in my heart, I'll be dead before midnight. I'll starve to death. I, I know I'm dead. I, I, ain't, I ain't never been without a meal. I'm dead. I'm thinking, man, it's over. man. And then I got thinking, man, I hate to see my brother die of starvation. I'm just a little old kid crazy. But I remember watching those deacons, and I remember watching those wives. They walked in there, and by the time they got in with that first row of groceries, one of them, one of them other ladies said, and pastor, I just want to tell you the The other deacons tonight there and their wives had a a meeting downtown at the Rotary Club. But you know what? They couldn't come here tonight. But you know what? They got a whole car out there full of groceries that they went and bought. And I remember watching them fill up that that table. And then they filled up all those countertops. And I tell you what, them folks didn't buy that old cheap cereal that Mom and Daddy had to buy. Man, they bought Cuckoo or Cocoa Puffs and stuff like that. I mean, man, we had some jam-up groceries. And I went from thinking that I was gonna die of starvation to man, now we're gonna die of gluttony tonight. We got more than we ever had. You know, here a six-year-old boy ain't thinking about anything spiritual, he's thinking about something to eat. But that night, when we had our prayers, Daddy brought us back to a spiritual idea and a spiritual mindset before we went to bed in thankfulness to what God had provided. And I remember laying in bed that night and the Holy Spirit of God touching a little old six-year-old boy's heart saying, you'll be a fool not to follow me. That's what I felt God say. You'll be a fool not to follow me. While your mom and daddy was in there praying, I had already answered their prayer. Folks, I want you to know God's bigger than your destitution, your trouble, your financial problem. God's bigger than that. You think, God, there's no way you're going to be able to make it? There is a God who can make a way out of no way. His name is Jesus. That's what old Jairus was looking for. That's what this woman with the issue of blood, she spent everything she had and nothing got better. As a matter of fact, it got worse. But God's bigger than our destitution. But then I want to share with you the third thing. How big is God? He's bigger than our diseases. Notice what it says in verse 27. And when she heard, Jesus came in the press behind and touched his garment. For she said, If I may touch his clothes, I shall be whole. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up. She felt in her body that she was healed of the plague. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that virtue had gone out of him, turned him about in the press and said, Who touched my clothes? And the disciples said unto him, Thou seest thou the multitude thronging thee, and saying, Thou who touched me? He looked around about to see her that did this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. And he said unto her, Daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. He's bigger than our diseases. You know what? Nearly over half of you sitting in here today could give a testimony about how God has healed you. It might have been through surgery. It might have been through medicine. It may have been through prayer. But you know what? God is still in the healing business. God can heal you of our diseases. And you know this disease here that she had. You know what? Let me just, let me just bring this to a... Uh, a real practical standpoint. Now you've got Jesus. I want you to put yourself in Jairus' spot. His daughter is on her deathbed. He comes to Jesus and says, will you come and put your hand on him? Jesus says, I'll go. And now they're on their way. Now can you imagine, they they, they strutting out there across there pretty good. They've got a big crowd with them, but they're making ground. Now Jairus is probably feeling, man, we're getting there. We're making some ground. And then all of a sudden, Jesus stops and turns around and said, who touched me? Now if I was Jairus, I'd have said, don't worry about it. It don't matter who touched you. Come on, come, come on, man. You know, have you ever, what if you was having a heart attack or your husband or wife or child was having a heart attack and the ambulance driver wanted to stop and get a Coca-Cola on the way to the hospital? No, if you behind them, you blowing that hole, you go. You know, if they're running 100, you could run at least 105 over here and get away with it. you got red lights, let's go. That's where I'd be. But you know what? Jesus, he's marching along. And now somebody touched him. With his he turned around. Who touched me? And then you notice them. It's funny what the disciples, how they're going to rebuke Jesus. It's okay. That's so funny. They looked at Jesus. This is our Georgia vernacular. Who touched you? Man, don't you see how big his crowd is? Are you crazy, Lord? Who touched you? Nobody know who touched you. He didn't pay them one bit of attention. Aren't you glad? Amen. How many times have you gotten in God's way to try to give him a little advice? Well, let me share something with you. When you're at your time of, of desperation and destitution, and maybe your time of disease, I want you to know that God is not in too big a hurry. That While he's not going to bless somebody else, he can't stop and bless you. God's that big. God's big enough to bless you when he's blessing somebody else. And I'm thinking, now, if I was Jarius. How many of y'all, if you were Jerry, you'd think you'd be knotted up right then? I'd be knotted up. Man, my daughter, she lied. Any minute could be her last breath. Come on, you fooling with somebody just touching your garment? But Jesus knew what was going on in her life. So he stops. And he asks her. She tells him all the things. And then she says this that I've had this issue of blood. How long was it? 12 years. Had it for 12 years. And so I'm thinking Jairus is probably saying, Come on. Then he said, 12 years. For you look at the end of this story, his daughter is 12 years old. I think the Holy Spirit of God's now touching Jairus said, Hey, hold on a minute, big boy. I can take care of your business. I'm going to take somebody else, care of somebody else while I'm on the way. And then she shares with everything she had. And then did y'all hear that bombshell? Did y'all did y'all recognize that bombshell that I read that Jesus dropped on on Jairus? If Jairus was all bent out of shape about hurry up, let's go, and then Jesus drops that bombshell on First of all, that little ignite he ignited it when he said this that this lady had been there twelve years. That that got his attention. But then the wonderful thing about that in verse thirty four it says, and he said unto her daughter. Thy faith hath made thee whole, go in peace. You know what? I think Jesus is probably standing there saying, man, 12 years for every year my daughter's been been alive. This woman's been sick. If he can heal her and my daughter's wrong, maybe he can heal my daughter. And then he's thinking, man, and then all of a sudden out of nowhere did Jesus calls this woman daughter. I think he only calls somebody daughter twice in the time of the scripture. But he does it now. And it might just interject in him, man, I am good. I can take care of her and I can take care of your daughter Man, get off your panic-stricken railroad. He's bigger than our diseases. Now, she had tried everything, but now she's got to get to God. She's got to get to Jesus. She tried every physician. She spent everything she had. She's broke, and everything's worse. But now she's going to God. You know, God's bigger than our diseases. One... A few years ago, I had a lady in our church come to me. She said, can you go by the hospital and see my, uh, can see my father-in-law? And said, uh, he ne- I know he needs to be saved. And he's got, uh, I, we're not sure what he's got, but he's in trouble physically. So I went by the hospital and I, I went in there. And there's this guy, he's laying there in just horrendous pain. And I said, brother, what's going on? I introduced myself to him and. And he said, I'm just struggling. I, man, I'm hurting so bad. He said, I've been trying to get some pain medicine for about 45 minutes. And he said, man, I can't hardly, I can't hardly catch my breath. And so I said, well, well, I'm sorry about that, brother. I said, I'll get you some help. And so I went down to the nurse's station. I asked where, the, where his nurse was. And they said, uh, well, that's her down there. So I went down there and I said, ma'am, I said, Mr. Wolfgang really does need some pain. She looked at me. She said, I'm well aware of what he needs. She said, we are so busy. You don't have any clue how busy we are. I have got, I'm going to get to him when I can. And I looked at her with the love of God and the, all the humility I could muster. And I said, no, hon. You're fixing to help him right now. And there must have been something in my voice that she may have sensed a little of energy. Let's just put it that way. And she said, well, I'll be right down there. I said, well, I'll just wait right here on you, hon. She went in, finished that little, didn't take her two minutes. She came back out, and then it was like she's just marching me. And I said, okay, I don't care. I don't care how you get down there, hon. You can slide on your nose if you want to. I Just get down there and get her done. She goes in there. She gets a morphine shot. She, she, she gets it puts it in his, his IV within three minutes. The pain had subsided He's of clear mind. He's not struggling, fighting to breathe because he's in so much pain. And so I just, I talked to him. I said, man, I'm a, I'm a preacher and your, your daughter-in-law asked me to come over here and see you. And he said, a preacher? I said, that's right. He said, well, let me just tell you before you say anything. He said, I hate God. And I said, you do? He said, I do. I hate God. Well, I started laughing at him. I said, man, you got to be kidding me. He said, no, I'm serious. I said, you're not serious. He said, I do hate God. I said, no, you don't. I said, you can't hate somebody you don't know. I said, you don't know him. I said, because if you knew him, it wouldn't be hate be coming out of your mouth. You'd be talking about loving him if you, if you knew the Jesus I knew about. He said, well, all I know is about this God that has wrecked our home, my wife. She is a Jehovah Witness, and she has wrecked our home for the last 20-something years. She has has run her mouth and fussed and and made our home a literal place where we hate to go. He said, I don't want any God that will wreck a home like that. I said, I don't know that God. I said, that's not the God of the Bible. I said, let me tell you about the God of the Bible. I shared with him the beautiful gospel of the Lord Jesus, and I asked him, had he ever given his heart and life to Christ? He said, no, I never have. And I said, man, what would hinder you from placing your faith and trust in Christ? He said, well, not a thing. I said, would you like to receive Christ? He said, I sure would. And though so there he prayed to receive the Lord Jesus. He hated God 15 minutes earlier. Now he's placing his faith and trust in him. About the time we got through the prayer, the door opens, walks in this 425-pound gorilla. It's his son. He's got a beard that makes duck commanders look like little cheering. He got a beard like it, and he shook my hand, and it was all I could do not to go to my knees. His hand just swallowed my hand, and his son was named Rick. And I said, how you doing, Rick? He said, I'm all right. I said, uh, I'm Brian Alexander, the pastor of Sweetwater Baptist Church. One... He looked over at his dad. What's the preacher doing in here? He said, hey, I'm glad you asked, son. Sit down right there. Preacher, tell him what you told me. And I said, man, your dad said he hated God. He said, man, everybody in our house hates God except my mama, and she don't even know him. I said, well, hey, man, we're on the right track here. And I said, so I shared with him the gospel. And the whole while, this great old big gruff guy sitting over there act like he was mad. He just swelled up like a big old prune. He just mad. And finally I said, man, I shared this with your dad, your dad gave his heart and life to Christ. He looked at me and said, did your dad? He said, I sure did. And he said, son, why don't you give your heart and life to Christ too? He looked at me and he said, I believe I will. This big old boy, I thought I was going to have to get him out of the chair. We got him out. He got on his knees and he prayed to receive the Lord Jesus. He had no more prayed to receive Christ. The door opens and there stands his cancer doctor in a white coat, comes in, told him who he was, spoke to him. and said, "Uh, who is this gentleman? And he said, well, he's a preacher. And he said, oh, I need to talk to you about your prognosis. Do you want him to stay? He said, oh yeah, let let him stay. And he looks at him and he said, Mr. Wolfgang, you've got stage four colon cancer. And he said, there's not going to be anything we're going to be able to do. Now you've got a man who just received Christ and his son sitting over there. They went from this spiritual high to meeting the Lord, now to looking at death in the face. And he said, how much time I've got do I have? And he said, six months at the very most, probably more likely you'll be three months. And he said, you know, we can do this to keep you comfortable and that kind of thing. But anyway, the doctor, he went his way. And I was standing there, and I'll tell you what, you don't know how heartbroken I was. It wasn't that I had any less faith in God but I tell you what, I was heartbroken. A man just gave his heart and life to Christ, and now he gets a sentence of death on him. And so I had prayer with him. I didn't know what else to say other than that we're just going to trust God. And I shook his hand, and I said, I'll be back to check on you again. And I walked down. I walked out of that room, and I remember how, how excited I was one moment, and now how discouraged I was. And I was walking down that hall. I got to the elevator, and when I mashed the button... I felt the Lord just tell me in my spirit, go back in there and tell him he's not going to be dead in six months. And I said, Lord, uh, Lord, why don't you tell him that? And I got on the elevator. I mean, I got on the elevator and I pushed one. I was going from the sixth floor cancer ward going to the the ground floor. I got down there. When I got off, I said, Lord you just going to need to tell him that. He said, I'm going to through you. I said, Lord, I don't think I got that much faith. I said, Lord, what if he's dead in six months? That's what I told the Lord. I cracked myself up telling him, you know, giving, informing him something like, he got, like I'm giving him some information. And i tell you what, I took more, one more step, and I got so sick to my stomach, I was afraid I was going to throw up if I took another. So I just turned around, got back on the elevator, Madison, went up, and I remember I was slow walking down that hallway. I mean, I've taken take 90-year-old man's step. I remember opening that door and walking back in. He, he was laying there, and he looked at me and he said, What's the matter, preacher? You forget something? I said, No, Brother Richard, I, I, didn't, forget, I didn't forget anything. I, I just felt like the Lord wanted me to give you a, a word. He said, Well, what is it? I said, God told me to tell you you were not going to be dead in six months. And his son's sitting over there. He said, Really? I said, that's what I felt like the Lord told me. And I said, I, I was a little afraid to come tell you that, but I said, I, I felt like that's the truth. He looked over to his son. He said, man, I like his news a whole lot better than I did that doctor's news. He said, I'm going with the preacher. I said, amen. Well, you know what? Six months to the day, I was sitting in my office, and the telephone rang that day, and it was Brother Richard. Brother Richard, hey, Brother Brian. He said, guess what? And I said, well, I know where you're at. I could, tell, I could tell where he was by the sound of the background of what was going on. You could, if anybody ever enters one of these places, you'll never forget what the sound sounds like. It was bowling balls hitting bowling pins. That's what I'm hearing. He's, I said, where are you at today? He said, brother, He said, I just bowled a 200. And he said, man, I'm going to break 200 here in the next round. He said, man, I just want not let you know I'm not dead. And I'm hanging in there. And I'll tell you what, he lived several more years with stage four. You think God's not bigger than your diseases? You mark it down, he is. But then the last thing, not only is God bigger than our desperation and our destitution and our diseases, but also he is bigger than our death. The Bible says there in verse thirty-five, while he yet spake, there came a ruler of the synagogue certain house, certain which said, Thy daughter's dead, why troublest thou the master any further? And as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he saith unto the ruler of the synagogue, Be not afraid, only believe. And he suffered no man to follow him, save Peter, James, and John the brother of James. He come to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and he seeth the tumult, and them that wept, and wailed greatly. And when he was come in, he saith unto them, Why make ye a this ado and weep. The damsel's not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn. Be careful about laughing at God. Don't say it's impossible. I love this manly God we serve. You notice what happened next? But when he had put them all out, he put them out. Aren't you glad? There may be some folks in your life that's hindering your walk of faith that you might need to put them out. He put them out, and he taketh the father and the mother of the damsel and them that were with him, and entered into where the damsel was lying. And he took the damsel by the hand, and he said unto her, Talitha kumai, which is being interpreted, Damsel, I say unto thee, Arise. And straightway the damsel arose and walked, for she was of the age of twelve years. And they were astonished with a great astonishment. And he charged them straightly that no man would, should know it and commanded that something should be given her to eat. You know what? When you get the news that someone has died that is close to you, it seems that there is nothing bigger than that death notice. We've all heard, we've all had that at some point in our life where someone come and gave us the bad news of someone else is death. You know, Jairus had heard his daughter was dead. And you know what, he went to Jesus and he told him, he just said, man, just believe, just believe. You know, that's one of the biggest things, keeping our prayers from being answered. A lot of times is just the fact that we don't truly believe that God can answer. God's bigger than your faith. God's bigger than your lack of faith. God is bigger than our death. Jesus, he put everyone out. The father of this little girl could no longer minister to his daughter. I wonder when he walked out of her room that morning and kissed her forehead that may have been with great fever, knowing that he probably would never see her alive again that he rushed to try to find God with everything he had. You know what happened? There's times when you need to take it out. There's times when my daddy, daddies tend to be helpers. They're the ones that help their kids in needs. They're the ones that they'll do any and everything they can to make sure that their kids have what they need in life. But there comes a time when our earthly daddies can't provide what we need. Our daddies can't keep us from death but we do have a father the father that's in heaven in the book of Psalms verse 68 verse 20 it talks about the issues of life and death are with God God is bigger than our death back in the late 60's I was, went to a revival meeting with my dad, my dad preached somewhere between 15 and 25 revivals a year and he pastored a church the whole time and worked a secular job as well and I remember going to that revival service. And the only reason, let me just tell you how spiritual I was. The only reason I wanted to go to church with him that night is because it was my week to do dishes, and I didn't want to wash the dishes. <laughs> we were sitting there at supper that night. Daddy is sitting over there, and he talking about, man, well, i got to get ready to go. We've got about a 30-minute drive to that church. And I looked over at my dad, and I said, I was seven years old. I said, Dad, I sure would like to go to church with you tonight. Man, my daddy's head swollen up like John Wayne. Bless God, my boy wants to go to church with me. And uh, my mama said, but it's your week to do dishes. And I said, I know it, mama, but I really do want to go to church with daddy tonight. My daddy looked over and he said, y'all get them dishes done. That boy wants to go to church, he's going. Mission accomplished. Man, I'm 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 good. But I remember that night my daddy preaching out of Luke chapter 16 and he preached hell so hot, man, I felt my seat burning while I was sitting there. I could smell charcoal burning in my nose. I was so nervous. You know what? When the invitation time came, there was 23 adults walked down that aisle and gave their heart and life to Christ that night. I remember getting in the car with my daddy on the way home and I says, Dad, I sure am glad you're a preacher. He said, Why is that, Brian? I said, Well, man, you're close to God. That means I'm close to God. you my daddy. He said... I don't have anything in this world to do with how close you are to God. He said, there's going to be a time in your life when you give your heart and life to Christ, just like they did. And that's all he said. He didn't try to talk me into it. He didn't go another step. He didn't put any pressure on me. He said, you're going to have to do that yourself. I remember laying in bed that night saying, Lord, God, don't let me die. Lord, don't let me die till Sunday. I think you, you know, I was only seven years old. I only thought the only place you'd get saved was at church, walking down the aisle. So I I remember begging God, Lord God, don't let me die tonight. You know what? I woke woke up at night. I I was afraid that I missed a breath or something. My heart might have stopped. I'd sit up the rest of the night thinking, Lord God, am I okay? Man, all day Saturday. I didn't want to go out and play. I didn't want to, man, I just hung around the house. I didn't want something to happen to me and I'd die and go to hell. That was on Friday night. On Saturday night, I remember laying down in that bed, and all I could think about was dying. You know, seven-year-olds ought not be thinking about dying. Amen. Say amen there. They ought not be thinking about it. But you know what? That's what I had on my mind. And I wasn't afraid about dying as I was about going to hell. I didn't want to go to hell. Well, I remember that Sunday morning. My dad was preaching. I don't have a clue what in the world he preached on. All I kept saying was, Lord, let him hush. Let him hush. Lord, I need Jesus. Lord, I want to get saved. I kept saying, Lord, let him hush. I remember when he opened up, the, when he called for the invitation time, I remember coming down that aisle. They hadn't even hit the first note of the first, just as I am. And, man, I came down there. My dad stuck out his hand, and I, I took his hand. And he said, Brian, why are you coming? I said, Daddy, I need to be saved. And then he said this strange thing, why? I said, well, Daddy, I need to be saved. He said, why? I said, well, Daddy, I'm a sinner. He said, Brian, you're a good boy. I looked up at him, and I said, well, Daddy, I'm not quite as good as you think I am. (laughs) And then he said, what do you mean? I said, well, Daddy, I've lied to you and Mama. I've gotten in trouble at school, and I've said and done things to my brothers that I know God's not pleased with, and and, and, and Daddy, I I know God's not pleased with, and I want to trust Him. I want to be saved. He looked at me and said, that's exactly what you want to do. And man, I remember kneeling down there. I didn't understand how God created the heavens and the earth and sun, moon, and the stars. I didn't understand how salvation and redemption and all that took place. All I know of is that a seven-year-old little old boy, when I called on the name of Jesus, he came into my heart and he saved me. And I tell you what, I hadn't worried about dying since because I know I have been saved. And what I know today and I share with you with all assurance that God is bigger than our death. Death is not something ultimately to fear, but it's something to look forward to because it is a transition from this life into the presence of God for those who are believers. God's bigger than our death. But you must be born again. I'm going to ask every head to be bowed and every eye to be closed. If you walked in these doors today without Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, God is big enough to save you. God is bigger in your desperation today if you're here and you're desperate in life the greatest desperation you'll have is to be saved When God brings you to that place where he offers you eternal life and life here in this life you need him you need him God's big enough to save you he's done everything necessary you have nothing to add to this, your salvation experience except your sins and He'll forgive you, and He'll save you. If you're here today and you've never been saved, what would keep you from giving your heart and life to Christ right now? Preacher, I'm not sure how to do that. It's it's with a prayer of faith between you and God. It is something special and something spiritual that happens between you and God alone when it comes to your birthing experience. You've been born physically. You have to be born spiritually. That's how you get into God's family. You're spiritually born. You say, Dear Lord Jesus, in the privacy of your own heart, Lord, I need you, and I'm desperate. I'm destitute. I have sins, diseases in my heart. And I'm destined for death without you. But Lord, I ask you right now to forgive me my sins, cleanse my soul, come in my heart and save me. And he promises that whosoever should call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you call on the name of the Lord this morning, that's the greatest decision you've ever made in your life. When our pastor comes here in just a minute to stand and to greet you, he also comes to encourage you. If you pray to receive the Lord Jesus today, I'm going to ask you just do something. Don't be ashamed of the Lord. You just step out and come down and say, Brother Matt, I pray to receive Christ today. And I'm not ashamed. And let him encourage you. Man, it'll just thrill his heart. And it'll thrill everybody's heart in here. Why? Because the greatest decision you'll ever make in this life is to place your faith and trust in Christ. But you may walk in the aisle today, in this doors today, but you're saved, but you have boxed up God in such a small box that you don't think he's big enough to handle your situation. This altar is going to be open for you to come and say, God, change my mindset. I want to follow you. I want to know and see how big you are. And God, we're praying for something big in this church. And let it begin today. And let it begin in me. As our instrumentalists come, I want you to be doing business with God. Oh, holy master and glory, hallowed be thy name. I ask you now in the name of Jesus that you would take care of the needs of your people that have come in these doors today. Those that have prayed to receive you as their personal Savior, give them the courage and the boldness to come take the pastor by the hand and share their love for you and let him encourage them. Lord, I pray you'd give them that courage. Lord, for those who have boxed you in to the point where they have such a lack of faith, Lord, that today they'll take their situation out of their hand and put it in your hand. And God, I pray you'd have your will and your way. Is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to ask you to stand right there where you are. And as we sing, this, they lead us through this time of commitment. God's dealing with your heart. Listen, do business with God. Listen, let him have his way. You need the excitement that Jairus had when his daughter got up out of that bed. That's what God offers you today.